0: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Monday, May the 25th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today is Memorial Day. I'm going to be talking about that a little more, but a couple of things that happened on this day I might mention. Today on May twenty-five, nineteen sixty-one, 1961, President John F. Kennedy told Congress, quote, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before the decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to Earth. The returning him safely to Earth was probably the most important part of that. That happened, of course. Today in 1787, the Constitutional Convention began at the Pennsylvania State House. It's called Independence Hall now. You may have been there. We visited there with our kids some many years ago when they were little. Took it all in. But um, they had met, but didn't have a quorum. It wasn't because our founders were not interested or lacked enthusiasm for creating this constitution. They were traveling by horseback, and several of them just didn't make it on time. They ran into some difficult traveling, so they had to put it off a day. The delegates showed up, and of of course, things happened. Today in 1935 Babe Ruth hit his last three career home runs numbers 712, 713 and 714. Today 1946, Trans Jordan now called Jordan it became a kingdom. it proclaimed its new monarch Abdullah won the first. Today 1964 the US Supreme Court in Griffin v County Board uh, School Board of Prince Edward County, ordered the Virginia County to reopen its public schools, which officials had closed in an attempt to circumvent the Supreme Court's 1954 Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka desegregation ruling. You may recall that. It's kind of a pivotal point, really, in education as far as discrimination and segregation goes. Today in 2008... NASA's Phoenix Mars lander, ar- <clears throat> lander arrived on the red planet to begin searching for evidence of water. Spacecraft confirmed the presence of water, ice, at its landing site. As I recall, they were a big deal out of that because they were saying, man, this is the next Earth. Well, it's only the next Earth if God says it's the next Earth. The New York Times published, a horrible editorial this weekend but it's so typical of the far left new york times editorial on the first day of this memorial day weekend on saturday they put out this this piece about memorial day but it was titled Why Does the us military celebrate white supremacy what a what an article what an editorial for memorial day weekend the article's byline is the entire editorial board of the New York Times, every one of them, not one dissented, not one was absent. Every single one of them signed off on this, and I'm not going to go through it, but I wanted to mention it today because it 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 creates, it shows a stark contrast between conservatism and so-called progressivism, the far left. It's insane. They can't seem to come even to grips with themselves and give themselves one day to celebrate all of the people and all of the lives that have fought for freedom, have sustained freedom. They just can't bring themselves to do it. Now they're trying to turn Memorial Day, the New York Times, it's called the paper of record, it's read all over the world, today. This weekend, they choose to point out that the U.S. military, whom we honor, living and dead, are racist. What's the matter with them? I think progressivism is a kind of a mental disease. It's been said before, that's not my original thought, but I think I agree with that couple of excerpts from this editorial. It says the same toxic legacy clings to the 10 United States military installations across the South that were named for Confederate Army officers. That's this whole thing. It's a long, pretty long editorial. It's all about 10 Confederate officers have their names on military establishments across the South. Therefore, therefore, it's racist. And the South is still racist, and the military according to these people, are enabling that instead of celebrating what those who have served and given, so many of them, have given their all, their lives, for our freedom. The New York Times chose to go with this. It's amazing. The editorial claims that the federal government, I'm quoting from them, the federal government embraced pillars of white supremacist movement when it named military bases in the South. No, it didn't. The editorial also claims that the names were adopted, I'm quoting them, as part of a broader accommodation in which the military embraced stringent segregation so as not to offend Southerners. The Southerners aren't offended. They don't have a problem with the military. I mean, I don't speak for them, but I can observe, and I do a whole lot of research. In fiscal year 2017, which is the last year we have numbers for these numbers at least, in fiscal year 2017, the South contained 33% of the nation's young adults. Keep that in mind, 33%, a third, of all young adults live in the South, as of the last numbers we have in 2017. But in that same year, the South provided 41% of the nation's military enlistees. You tell me, who has the problem? The South or the New York Times? Of course, it's the New York Times. The Times, I looked at it very carefully before I made these comments today. The Times provides no other example of the U.S. military celebrating white supremacy. That's amazing. And you talk about... You talk... It's... on. Un- I noticed another headline today. (laughs) They're making a big deal out of the fact that President Trump is playing golf on his own golf course on Memorial Day. It's horrible. It's awful. How could he do this? And on and on and on. On his own golf course. And yet, I checked it out. I was just curious. Barack Obama played golf on every Memorial Day he was in office as president, except one. Seven out of eight years. Boy, it's, it's amazing out there. You, they, It can get so depressing and so confusing if you listen to the news. <laughs> Yet we have to be informed, and that's what we do here on this program. I want to thank you for your support on this Memorial Day and each and every day. I was reading some notes from many of you who have sent contributions recently. I've read the notes. Thank you for your thoughts. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the encouragement. And most of all, thank you for the financial support, because I wouldn't have been able to say good morning this morning or any other morning without you. Thank you so very, very much. Our address is Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Ronald Reagan, let's look at the positive. Forget the New York Times. Erase them. Delete. President Ronald Reagan on May 31, 1982, gave a speech at Arlington Cemetery. He began with this. He said in 1863, when he dedicated a small cemetery in Pennsylvania marking a terrible collision between the armies of the North and South, Abraham Lincoln noted the swift obscurity of such speeches. Well, we know now that Lincoln was wrong about that particular occasion. He said, my words will be forgotten, as you may recall, and and um, they were not. <laughs> I remember as a kid myself memorizing, it was a class assignment, I don't know what grade, but I was pretty young, Gettysburg Address. I can still kind of quote it, I think, I won't try today, but I'm pretty sure I could. We know that Lincoln, his words were, had a longer life than he realized, but his remarks uh, commemorating it, back to quoting Ronald Reagan, president, he said his remarks, speaking of Lincoln, commemorating those who gave their last full measure of devotion were long remembered. But since that moment at Gettysburg, few other such addresses have become part of our national heritage, not because of the inadequacy of the speakers, but because of the inadequacy of the of the, words. the whole speech that Reagan gave that day was kind of framed around the fact that Memorial Day is about people and about something that is bigger than all of us. He said, I have no illusions of what I can add now to the silent testimony of those who gave their lives willingly for this country. He said, words are even more feeble on this Memorial Day for the sight before us is that of a strong and good nation that stands in silence and remembers those who were loved, and who in return loved their countrymen enough to die. Yet he said we must honor them, not for their sakes alone, but for our own sake. So true. He continued, And if words cannot repay the debt we owe these men, surely with our actions, we must strive to keep the faith with them and with the vision that led them to battle and to final sacrifice. The speech is longer, and I included it in an article that I wrote today. I think it's very inspiring. I think you'll appreciate it. I did. If you read it, it's at faithandfreedom.us. But toward the conclusion of his speech, Ronald Reagan said this. He said, As we honor their memory today, let us pledge that their lives, their sacrifices, their valor shall be justified and remembered for as long as God gives life to this nation. And then he said this, and I'm quoting him, Earlier today, with the music that we have heard and that of our national anthem, I can't claim to know the words of all the national anthems in the world, but I don't know of any other that ends with a question and a challenge as ours does. Does that flag still wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave? And then Reagan paused. And he said to the audience and to the world who were watching, that's what we must ask ourselves today. I think many of us are asking ourselves those questions today. This Memorial Day is different. Crowds are not gathering, parades are not marching, people are not mingling as they normally would, they're distancing, staying home. Who could have thought that something like this little virus? Could change the world, and it has. We'll never go back to the way it was before the virus. Oh, we'll recover, I think, I hope, I pray. But it all changed just in a single day. A booming economy crashed almost. People separated themselves from their own family for the family's sake as well as their own sake. Old people are staying in because they're most vulnerable to the virus. <laughs> the elderly, they call us, I mean, call you guys. Ronald Reagan was very capable with words, but even he couldn't find the words to describe the importance of recognizing where we are, even if the, mar- if the, even if the parades aren't marching, even if that's been put aside for a year, this year. Memorial Day still stands for what it stands for, and it is bigger than all of us. It is significant, to say the least. I want to share a story with you today on this Memorial Day. I trust that you, I always say on holidays, I hope you're with your family. Today that may not be possible because a lot of people, yes, the states are opening up and and the the battles are starting between business and the state and church and state and all of this. And we'll get into that this week, tomorrow, and the days following. We'll be talking about the issues for sure. But today, I'd like to take a deep breath, and I want to share something with you that I didn't write, but it's someone else's story, but it touched me, and I believe it'll touch you. And I want to share it with you today. Nancy Sullivan Gang wrote this wrote this about herself. It was published in guideposts. But it's a vivid memory of the way it was when she was a kid on Memorial Day, and it points out some of the things that have changed by virtue of clarifying and focusing on why we do this in the first place. Nancy Nancy says... She said, I leaned against an oak on the side of the road, wishing I were invisible, keeping my distance from my parents on their lawn chairs and my younger siblings. She said, I didn't want anybody to see me. It's a story. It's a story, perhaps, of a lot of our lives. She said, I hope none of my friends saw me there. God forbid that they caught me waving one of those small American flags that mom bought at Ben Franklin for a dime. At 16, I was too old and definitely too cool for our small town's Memorial Day Parade. I ought to be at the lake, she says she brooded. But no, the all-day festivities were mandatory in my family. High school band was marching by. The girl in sequins threw her baton way up in the air. She missed it. It tumbled from the sky, bounced across the street. Said the firemen blasted sirens in their polished red trucks. The uniforms on the troop of World War Two veterans, looked a little too snug on more than one member. Here comes Mema, my father shouted. Five black convertibles lumbered down the main street. The mayor was in the first, handing out programs. I didn't need to look at one. I knew my Uncle Bud's name was printed on it, as it had been every year since he was killed in Italy. Bud was our family's war hero. And I knew that perched in the back backseat of one of those cars Waving and smiling was Memma, my grandmother. She had a corsage on her lapel and a sign in gold embossed letters on the car door. It said Gold Star Mother. I hid behind the tree so I wouldn't have to meet her gaze. It wasn't because I didn't love her or appreciate her. She taught me how to sew to call a strike in baseball. She made great cinnamon rolls which we always ate after the parade. What embarrassed me was all the attention she got for a son who had died 20 years earlier. With four other children, a dozen grandchildren, why linger over one long-ago loss? I peeked out from behind the oak just in time to see Mema wave and blow my family a kiss as the motorcade moved on. The blue ribbon on her hat fluttered in the breeze. The rest of our Memorial Day ritual was equally scripted. No use trying to get out of it. I followed my family back to Mema's house where there was the usual baseball game in the backyard and the same old reminiscing about Uncle Bud in the kitchen. Helping myself to a cinnamon roll, I retreated to the living room and plopped down on the the armchair. There I found myself staring at an Army photo of Bud on the bookcase, the uncle I'd never known. I must have looked at him a thousand times, so proud in his crested cap, knotted tie, his uniform was decorated with military emblems that I couldn't decode, didn't know what they were. Family, family was all about this. Funny, this time he was staring, starting to look a little younger to me as I got older. Who are you, Uncle Bud? I nearly asked out loud. I picked up the photo and I turned it over. Yellowing tape held a prayer card that read, Lloyd Bud Heintzman, 1925-1944, to 1944. A Great Hero. 19 years old when he died not much older than I was but a great hero how could a how could you be a great hero at 19 the floorboards creaked behind me i turned and saw memma coming in from the kitchen wiping her hands on her apron i almost hid the photo because i didn't want to listen to the same old stories i'd heard year after year your uncle bud had a rat, ter- rat terrier a dog named jigs good old jigs how he loved that mutt. He wouldn't go anywhere without jigs. He used to put in the rumble seat of his Chevy Coop and drive all over town with jigs. I'd heard it a thousand times. Remember how hard Bud worked after we lost the farm? At the haying season, he worked all day, sunrise to sunset, bailing for other farmers. Then he brought me all his wages. He'd say, Mama, someday I'm going to buy you a brand new farm. I promise. There wasn't a better boy in the world. I'd heard it so often. Sometimes I wondered about that boy dying alone in a muddy ditch in a foreign country he'd only read about. I thought of the sacred kid who jumped out of a foxhole in front of a advancing enemy only to be downed by a sniper. I couldn't reconcile the image of the boy and his dog with that stalwart soldier. Memma stood beside me for a while looking at the photo From outside came the the sharp snap of an American flag flipping in the breeze, the voices of my cousins cheering my brother, who was at bat. Mima asked, What's a hero? Without a word, she turned and walked down the hall to the black bedroom. I followed. She opened a bureau drawer and took out a small metal box. Then she sank down into the bed. These are Bud's things, she said. They sent them to us after he died. She opened the lid and handed me a telegram. It was dated October 13, 1944. The Secretary of State regrets to inform you that your son, Lloyd Heitzman, was killed in Italy. Your son. I imagined Memma reading that sentence for the first time. I didn't know what I would have done Had I gotten a telegram like that? Here's Bud's wallet, she said. Even after all those years, it was caked with dry mud. Inside was Bud's driver's license with the date of his 16th birthday. I compared it with the driver's license that I had just received. A photo of Bud holding a little spotted dog fell out of the wallet. It was Jiggs. Bud looked so pleased with his mutt. There were other photos photos in the wallet, a laughing Bud standing arm in arm with two buddies, photos of my mom and aunt and uncle and another of Memma waving. This was the home that Uncle Bud took with him. It was beginning to make sense. I could see him in a foxhole taking out these snapshots to remind himself of how much he was loved and missed. Who's this, I asked, pointing to a shot of a pretty dark-haired girl. Memma said, that's Marie. Bud dated her in high school. He wanted to marry her when he came home. A girlfriend? Marriage? How heartbreaking to have a life, plans, hopes for the future so brutally snuffed out. Sitting on the bed, Memma and I sifted through the treasures in the box. There was a gold watch that had never been wound up again. A sympathy letter from President Roosevelt, one from... Bud's commander, a metal shape like a heart. It was trimmed with a purple ribbon. Didn't know what it was. At the very bottom, the deed to Mema's house. I asked, why is this here? Well, she said, because Bud bought this house for me. She explained how after his death, the U.S. government gave her $10,000 and with it, she built the house she was still living in. He kept his promise all right, Mama said, in a quiet voice that I'd never heard before. For a long time, while the two, two of us sat there on the bed, then we put the wallet, the medal, the letters, the watch, the photos, the deed, back into the little metal box. I finally understood why it is so important for Memma and for me remember to remember Uncle Bud on this day. If he'd lived longer he might have built that house for Memma or married his high school girlfriend. There might have been children and grandchildren to remember him by. As it was, there was only that little box, the name in the program and a reminiscing around the kitchen table. I guess he was a hero because he gave everything for what he believed. Yes, child, Memma said, wiping a tear with the back of her hand. Don't ever forget that. I haven't, she writes, today. Even today, with Memma gone, my husband and I take our lawn chairs to the tree-shaded boulevard on Memorial Day and give our three daughters small American flags that I buy for a quarter at Ben Franklin. I want them to remember that life isn't just about getting what you want. Sometimes it involves giving up the things you love for what you love even more. That many men and women did the same for their country. That's what I think when I see the parade pass by now. And if I close my eyes and imagine I can still see Memma in her regal purple hat honoring her son, a true American hero. That's what this day is about. It's not about the New York Times, and it's not about their storytelling, and it's not about racism, it's not about white supremacists, it's about the fact that people came together. They were meeting today in 1787. They were asking God for direction to forge this country and to create documents upon which this nation could be built. We know them as certainly the Declaration of Independence in the beginning in the Constitution several years later. That's what this is about. Today is about that day, that day, whenever it was that your sons and daughters went to battle because they believed in America. They weren't trying to find some thread of racism, some thread of white supremacy, some thread of Don't let a crisis go to waste. It wasn't about that. It was about declaring their independence and later a constitution to support that. It was about declaring that God has given us inalienable rights, not government, not man, not a foreigner somewhere, a king across the ocean. It's all about the freedom that God gives and they created a government that would protect that and sustain that, not bestow it. And our sons and daughters for 200 years have heeded the call. They've gone to fight for liberty, for freedom, for the American dream. And God has blessed this nation above all nations in the history of the world. There's never been a nation as free, as prosperous, as... as as America. That's what this day is about. It's about remembering those who gave of themselves the ultimate, the ultimate sacrifice. And they stood up. They heeded the call. And I will tell you that we live in a time today in America, we need to heed the call because there are forces and attitudes and people with influence who try every single day to undermine what God has given us in this great nation. And as Reagan said, as long as as long as God allows this nation to exist, we're gonna to have to heed the call and be ready in whatever way presents itself, whatever opportunity mm-hmm. is there. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me on this Memorial Day. I would say go out and join the group, but you're probably not with a group today. But thank you so much. We'll continue looking at the news from a biblical perspective tomorrow. Thanks for being here today. Have a great day. I'll see you right here tomorrow.